right, glad you're with us. 243 days till you, we, the American people, decide you are the ultimate jury. You have the opportunity to shock the world again, and you can see the panic in the mob and the media, and they're trying to call us around, well, a candidate. Frankly, let's be blunt here, that they're propping up in Joe Biden. Uh, I do not see a guy that has the energy, the strength, the stamina, the focus to ever be the president of the United States. He's 78 years old. And let me say by comparison, which one's 78? I guess Bernie's 78 and Biden's 77. And look, Bernie has the stamina. It doesn't even bother me that he had a heart attack. To be very blunt, that's not an issue for me. A lot of people have heart attacks. They go on forever. Um, we watched that with Dick Cheney. I mean, nobody had a worse heart issues than Dick Cheney. He functioned great. He had incredible strength, stamina, focus that this job requires. It is a legitimate issue to bring up the what the hell is going on with Joe Biden question. It is very odd. It is really strange. It is even unnerving would be, I guess, the right way to say it. You know, my argument would be if he had a fastball, he doesn't have one now. If he had a slow pitch, doesn't seem like he has one now. And I think that the media, the mob and the rest, they're just trying to act like that doesn't exist. We don't see what everybody else sees. Uh, it's it's not a matter of questioning him as a person in any way. Uh, we all get older. We're all, believe it or not, dying. We're all in the process of dying. We're all going to die one day. But it's a very uplifting show. Well, the way to start the show, Hannity. Um, and it's sad. I wish I wish wasn't the case. But it's just a fact. That's why I've, I keep saying to anyone that'll listen, you know, we all think we own stuff. We own our homes. We own our cars. We own our clothes. We own our watches. All my friends are into watches. I, I don't wear a watch. I, haven't, I can't stand them. Um, I have no interest, no desire in any of that whatsoever. Because think about it. You're not really an owner. You're a renter. Because when you die, and we're all going to die, well, somebody else is going to be living in, quote, your house, driving, quote, your car, and likely wearing, quote, your favorite watch unless you decide to waste it and get buried in it or burned or whatever way you're going to go out. Um, so uh, it, it, these are legitimate questions. This is the hardest the most difficult, the most demanding, toughest job in the world, bar none. You see the strength, you see the focus, you see the stamina unmatched with Donald Trump. He is a machine. You'll see, let me fly 20 hours here. Let me fly right back from India and then go out the next day and do a rally someplace, somewhere. Amazing stamina, amazing focus, amazing strength, and really into the job, and you can see it. I see more energy in Bernie than I do in Biden by a long shot. It's not even not even close. Um, we've got tape of Joe Biden. Now, it's old tape. It's from a speech he gave as a young politician representing the state of Delaware in 1973. Well, why is that relevant, Hannity? He visited the City Club of Cleveland. We have confirmed and confirmed again and triple confirmed that this, in fact, was him. He makes a lot of remarks that I think, if it was a Republican, would be a big deal in the campaign. We have Joe. Oh, I didn't I, I didn't know any of you women were going to be here. They said they didn't want you here. 
apologizing then to women because he's about to use a football analogy. But I, don't, I, they, I heard they didn't want you here. I didn't expect women to be here. Uh, a lot of women like football. And I think even back then, uh, he actually thinks politicians do more good than doctors, lawyers, and, quote, Indian chiefs. He admits, oh, I'm not a particularly moral person, and that he would have taken money from special interests. He would have taken it. He then, a woman gets up to ask a question, and he refers to the woman as a kiddo and compliments the kiddo on her lovely appearance, uh, seen through the prism of a new era, Me Too. Well, what happened to Chris Matthews? Then he further goes on to use language that I would consider racist. Um, And maybe after hearing it all, and I listened to it a few times now, and I'm going to play it at the top of the next hour. I'm not going to play it this hour. Maybe it explains some of these unbelievable comments that he's made over the years and in recent years. My state was a slave state. I'm like, huh? Or we're going to put you all back in chains. Or, you know, for the first time ever, you have an African-American who's bright and articulate and clean. I'm talking about Barack Obama. This is storybook, man. Storybook. Uh, you can't go or work, go to a 7-Eleven, Dunkin' Donuts and work there unless you have a slight Indian accent. Uh, wow. You know, pretty, pretty unbelievable comments. And I think if it was a Republican, it would be treated very differently. Uh, the, I think it's coming down to a lot of things. What did I say yesterday? And nobody really has been saying this that I have heard in the media. I, I just think people have interpreted yesterday's results wrong. I don't think people have factored in that the in the leading days, weeks into Super Tuesday, what was Bernie Sanders doing? He was doubling down on stupid, indefensible stupid. It's not that Bernie was a socialist and Joe's not a socialist. And I'll explain exactly what I mean in a second with tape to prove it. But it was Bernie defending murderous dictators and regimes that murdered people. The former Soviet Union, you know, tens of millions of people slaughtered under that system of communism. Yeah, at the time they were the, I mean, they're a hostile actor now, and they're a hostile regime now. No, that was a, that was a murdering country. And goes to honeymoon there. Okay, odd, weird, not exactly anyone else's first pick. But then defending Castro and the Castro brothers. What were they? murdering dictators that confiscated people's private property and ran them off their land and killed anybody that resisted them in any way, shape, matter, or form. Murdering dictators, murdering dictatorships, regimes. Then Daniel Ortega, you know, the the communist uh, Nicaraguan, you know, group that he led. It It is pretty breathtaking. That was what led up to Super Tuesday. People say, no, they wanted to go with the more moderate Joe. And I, I went through issue after issue. Joe's not a moderate. He's not a moderate on any issues. Yeah, we're going to put Beto O'Rourke in charge of gun policy in this country. The guy wants confiscation for crying out loud. Or his position on the idiotic Green New Deal and getting off fossil fuels and energy, the lifeblood of the world's economy. That's a dumb idea. Everything's free. Oh, he's promising he's going to raise taxes. 
He's promising free health care to illegal immigrants and open borders. He has the worst foreign policy record of any of the people there. And he's got a horrible economic track record with Obama. These are going to be the factors. And let me make my point as uh, a friend of mine sent this to me. It's an interview in the 2016 election. It's Biden advocating for Bernie Sanders over Hillary Clinton. So my point is he liked Bernie the socialist, and he's explaining, well, if he didn't just call himself a socialist, it would be better for him. But, you know, I agree with everything. Listen. You know, if Bernie Sanders never said he was a democratic socialist, based on what he's saying, people wouldn't be calling him a democratic socialist. That's how he characterizes himself in sort of European terms, the democratic socialist parties in, in Europe. But, but why is she but, having trouble? Well, I, I think that, that Bernie is speaking to a yearning that is deep and real and he has credibility on it and that is the absolute enormous concentration of wealth in a small group of people with the middle class now being able to be shown being left out there used to be a basic bargain if you contributed to the profitability of an enterprise you got to share in the profit that's been broken productivity's up wages are Hillary's talking about that as well, well it's but it's 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 relatively new for Hillary to talk about that. Hillary's focus has been on other things up to now, and that's been Bernie's. Uh, no one questions Bernie's authenticity on those issues. And they question so, hers. You think? Well, I, I think they question everybody's who hasn't been talking about it all along. So I mean, he's basically. Yeah, I agree with him, and he's earnest, and he's got this. Now, I've laid out what I think the biggest challenges for Biden are. And number one, whether people want to face facts or not, there is great, deep concern whether or not he has the strength, the stamina, the focus that the hardest job in the world will require. That's issue number one. Issue number two is this corruption with Ukraine. Quid pro quo Joe zero experience Hunter is real. It is heating up in Ukraine where an investigation has now been launched. The evidence is overwhelming and incontrovertible to me. That's going to be a problem for quid pro quo Joe. Then we've got quid pro quo Joe. And, well, that would be he's got a record to run on. The Iranian deal, uh, what, 13 million more Americans, food stamps, 8 million more poverty, lowest labor participation rate since the 70s. Lowest home ownership rate in 50 years, worst recovery since the 40s, more debt than all 43 past administrations before Biden-Obama combined. That's a problem. Um, and his views are out of touch with the mainstream. That is another problem. Now we've got these tapes that I'll play. We'll see how the mob and the media reacts. My guess is they'll do what they always do, and that's try and ignore it. What do we do that other people don't do? We actually vet candidates. We're vetting Joe Biden. We vet Michael Bloomberg. We did a pretty good job very quickly vetting Michael Bloomberg and holding him accountable for the farmer comments and go home and die comments and uh, where all the crime is because we put all the cops there. We only arrest uh, only minorities. Uh, yeah, pretty bad stuff. Now we've got Joe saying you know, all the things that he's saying. And we'll play that for you. Another big issue, I'm going to really 
delve deeper into this. Chuck Schumer was very clear in his comments. I want to tell you, Gorsuch. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh. You have released the whirlwind. You will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. I'm like, uh, really? Is that Senator Schumer? Well, he's now threatening two Supreme Court justices. Uh, let me tell you something. This, and for John Roberts to speak out as he did, pretty unprecedented. And John Roberts was dead on, accurate, and right, and correct in doing and saying what he said yesterday. We'll get into all this when we get back. We had a lot to get to today. We'll play you these tapes of Biden uh, that he gave before the City Club of Cleveland. Interesting, the only people that have picked up on it were Breitbart. We know the Cleveland, Cleveland.com, this was May of last year, but very few others, which raises questions to me as well, but that's separate and apart. Uh, the the Cl Cl City Club of Cleveland, they released the tapes when asked, and they commented about releasing them in May of last year. How do you interpret it any other way, what Schumer's saying here? I, I want to tell you, Gorsuch. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh. You have released the whirlwind. You will pay the price. You don't know what hit. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful acts. Now, there are some Democrats, to their credit, that have spoken out about this. Not enough, in my, from my point of view. Um, it's a threat. I think Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, is right. I think he was right in, in coming out and speaking out. Uh, but I don't think you can interpret it any other way. Now, I've, I've been looking and watching and observing and researching, and we did find um, a law that he seems to have violated, my interpretation. According to 18 U.S. Code 115, whoever threatens a federal official, quote, with intent to impede, intimidate, or interfere with such official judge or law enforcement officer while engaging in the performance of official duties they were hearing the case or with the intent intent to retaliate against such official judge or law enforcement officer on account of the performance of official duties shall be punished by a fine or imprisonment of as much as 10 years okay was he trying to influence judges on the supreme court intimidate them yeah i think this fits pretty well into that definition of the law um, I know others have said, well, you know, it's just terrible. Jonathan Turley said a direct attack on the integrity of the courts. He sounded more like a stalker than a statesman, even liberal leftist Trump hater, uh, scholar Lawrence Tribe admonishing Lawrence Tribe and Alan Dershowitz fight on Twitter all the time. Schumer for inexcusable remarks. Um, American Bar Association said they were troubled. There's no place for threats like this. John Roberts, unprecedented, saying justice is no criticism comes with the territory, but threatening statements of this sort from the highest levels of government, not only inappropriate, but they are dangerous. All members of the court will continue to do their job without fear or favor from whatever quarter. And then he's out there with his team of political hacks trying to spin it. Oh, I wasn't threatening the judges. I wasn't talking about them. It doesn't work, Chuck. We've got the tape. We'll have more on this and the election Update on Corona straight ahead. All right, 25 now to the top of the hour, 800-941-SHAWN if you want to be a part of the program. So at the top of the next hour, we have obtained 
This is what we do. We vet. And we let you decide. Uh, past comments, 1973, the City Club of Cleveland of Joe Biden. We'll let you decide. Uh, one of the things, I, it's amazing that I have to explain this as often as I do when I want, oh, you say you're not a journalist. You're right. I say it all. I've said that many times. Well, see, you're not. I'm like, you're right. I said it myself. What are you so stupid? These people in the media, they're so gullible and dumb and arrogant and full of themselves. And they they've they've deluded themselves into believing that they are so morally superior and they feign their daily Trump outrage. And I don't even think they know what they're doing anymore. It's just like, you know, two Alka-Seltzer tablets in water and they bubble and fizz. And what can we get mad about Trump today? What do I say? I'm a talk show host on radio and television. What is a talk show host? Well, encompasses many roles. We do straight news. I can give you hours, produce hours of evidence. Me just doing straight news on whatever an issue happens to be. Giving you the news of the day with no opinion, no slant, straight across. And then we do investigative reporting. The deep state, and we got an update on FISA today, too, that we're going to get to. Uh, FISA court, yeah, they're now speaking out and they want and are demanding action because of the premeditated fraud and responding to the inspector general's report. We'll update that today. But so we do investigative reporting. We do straight reporting. All part of being a talk show host, we give opinion. I am voting for Donald Trump in 243 days. I think he is the better candidate. That would be my strong opinion based on facts, I would argue, and truth, and that we're all better off because of him being elected president and you shocking the world, the American people shocking the world, we, the people shocking the world, uh, in 2016. So we do reporting, straight reporting, investigative reporting to the deep state. We investigated at length Hillary Clinton violating Espionage Act, top secret classified information on that private server, violation 18 U.S.C. 793, multiple categories within the Espionage Act. And, of course, if any of you ever decided after your emails were subpoenaed to delete them and then forensically acid wash the hard drive with bleach bits so they couldn't forensically be recovered and then busted up devices that might have those emails on them with hammers and remove SIM cards, I would say that's obstruction. We were right. The mob and the media still ignore it. And thank goodness Hillary now is going to be questioned in a deposition by Tom Fitton's group, Judicial Watch. Good for them. I can't wait to see the new round of answers she makes up because you've been all over the place with her answers. Then, of course, we did a lot of reporting on the real Russian interference in the 2016 election, and that would be Hillary Clinton's bought-and-paid-for dirty dossier. This is investigative reporting and how the mob and the media ignored it. They only cared about Trump-Russia collusion. Four investigations later, there was no evidence of any Trump-Russia collusion. But there was, there was Russia collusion, and that would be Hillary funneling money, campaign finance violation, through a law firm to hire an op research firm to hire a foreign national that comes up with a dossier that not even Christopher Steele stands by. Unverifiable. And that very dossier was leaked to the press to influence the election and the American people and their vote. Dirty, unverified dossier, compliant, conspiracy, theorist, media, corn, Isakov, etc., then that dossier, unverified, says that the top of a FISA warrant verified 
It's unverifiable. Christopher Steele, I don't know if any of it's true. And more importantly, they were warned repeatedly that it was political, that Steele had an anti-Trump agenda and a deadline and that Hillary Clinton paid for it, op research, and they need to be wary of it all. Now, the New York Times eventually came around to realizing that was luckily likely Russian disinformation from the beginning. And then they used it, knowing, warned repeatedly, not verifying it, confirming it's verified in the four separate applications of the FISA court. Now, the FISA court's responding, saying we want answers and changes. And we, you know, I don't know what the outcome of this is going to be. I would assume now that Durham and Barr have confirmed that spying occurred against a presidential candidate transition team and president deep into the Trump presidency, to quote the attorney general Barr, that will probably justice will be served. One of the, I think, more interesting developments as it relates to the deep state is when you dig down deep into the FISA court and what they're saying, um, it gets very, very interesting. Because they don't want people that might be under criminal investigation uh, involved in coming up with potential solutions for this. Give you more details as the show unfolds. So we do straight reporting, investigative reporting. We also do opinion. And then we do news, sports, culture, et cetera, et cetera, other stories. That's being a talk show host. I'm in a member of the press. And if I had to make an analogy, I'd say we are the whole newspaper. We do the news portion, we do the investigative reporting portion. We do the opinion portion. We have guest op-ed portion. Then we do sports. We have sports guests on. Later on, for example, Burgess Owens is coming on, but he's running for Congress. It's more of a political topic, but he won a Super Bowl with the Oakland Raiders. And, you know, we have plenty of, of Herschel Walker's been on many times. We love him. We had Tim Tebow on. We do culture stories. It's how we do them all. We're like the whole newspaper. We do, but as a member of the press, I am a member of the press. Whether they like it, you're not a journalist. No, I'm a talk show host. We do, I do, you, you say you're fair, balanced, and objective, and you're not. They lie. And they have spread lies and conspiracy theories, et cetera. Now, when these tapes come out that we're going to play, you can go to Hannity.com if you want a preview. Uh, what Joe Biden, in his own words, say, if it was Donald Trump, I'll say this. It would be a massive, huge controversy that would last all through the election, the next 243 days. My prediction, they'll ignore it. Remember, when we were vetting Obama, they didn't really want to know about ACORN, community organizing, or the Choom Gang, or Frank Marshall Davis, or the 20-plus years in the Church of GD America and Reverend Wright and Black Liberation Theology and him on tape. Oh, white folks' greed runs a world in need. And what Black Liberation Theology was rooted in: Marxist socialism, redistributionism, statism, whatever you want to call it. And that I had the only interview with Reverend Wright, and that was in what 2007. Never did any more appearances after that. That was it. And we sent even our investigative team to the Church of GD America. They were they knew we were there. They welcomed us. It wasn't me. I wasn't there. Uh, but our researchers went there and they did their work and we got the tapes. Nobody ever. They only asked Obama one time about Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn. September 11, 2001 of all days. They were part of the weather underground. 
a group that bombed the Pentagon, New York City Police Headquarters, Congress, and there's Bill Ayers, where Barack Obama started his political career in that guy's house, that he's wishing they, the Weather Underground, had done more. Of all days, September 11th, 2001. That's a domestic terrorist group. How many times do you think Barack Obama got asked by it? One time. And we fed the question to George Stephanopoulos on this show the day before. I'm not going to play it now, but we have the tape. We've played it a number of times. So that's what we do. And that's what we're doing now with Biden. If it's going to be Biden, okay. We vetted Bloomberg. Bloomberg took, took a big hit because of, ah, oh, you're 95. We have to tell them, go, you have cancer, you're going to die. Go home to your family. You're, you're done. We're not paying. We can't afford you. We can't afford to pay for treatment for you. That's his plan. Or, you know, I could teach anyone to be a farmer. You dig a hole, put a seed in, put some dirt over it, water it. Anyone could be a farmer. Just totally ignoring the science, the chemistry, the business of agriculture, the level of sophistication of the the most intelligent group of people in the country that feed the country and feed the world. How insulting, how ignorant, and how dismissive. Or his comments on justifying, I, I actually support stop and frisk in New York. I would support it in Chicago or any areas. What they do, heavier concentration in areas where there's a higher crime, more violence. In other words, you put more resources there. But he's saying, no, we, well, people say to me, you only arrest minority children for marijuana. That's correct. Why? Because we put all, that's all the cops in minority neighborhoods. Uh, okay, why? He says, well, I have the answer. Because that's where all the crime is. He paid a price for that. And it goes back 17 years. Now, okay, we're going to go back and listen to then new senator, young politician Joe Biden speaking at the City Club of Cleveland. And we'll let you decide. That's on Hannity.com. Um, McConnell is calling out Schumer. Contrary to what the Democratic leader has tried to claim, he very clearly was not addressing Republican lawmakers or anybody else. He literally directed the statement to the justices by name, saying, quote, you go forward with these awful decisions, which could only apply to the court itself. The minority leader then threatened two associate justices of the Supreme Court. Wow, that's pretty bad. And I guess when he says, I want to tell you Gorsuch and I want to tell you Kavanaugh, that's a pretty direct threat that you have now released the whirlwind. You will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful actions. And again, 18 U.S. Code 115, whoever threatens a federal official, quote, with intent to impede, intimidate or interfere with such official judge or law enforcement officer, while engaged in the performance of official duties, <clears throat> they were hearing the case, or with the intent to retaliate against such official judge or law enforcement officer on account of the uh, performance of official duties, shall be punished by fine or imprisonment as much as 10 years. Hmm. Now, I wonder if that's going to apply to Schumer. Now, I know some people say, well, we're just going to go for censure. And by the way, Senator Hawley moved very quickly. And this is not the first time he's been critical of the courts, just like Obama was critical on the I, I believe the case was the Citizens United decision. And I remember a Justice Samuel Alito saying not true. You saw him mouth the words because he was critical of that decision. Of course, there wasn't a big outcry by the left. They weren't upset at all. 
The big untold story of Tuesday night is the following. And this now played out. It's played out a number of times. And you cannot ignore how profound this is. And that is Donald Trump and Donald Trump's performance. And what is actually going on here? Because it's huge. It's a it's a movement and it is loud and it is straightforward. And I don't think it's going away. And it shows the strength uh, that he has in these states. Now, the president won the Texas primary. Now, we saw this in New Hampshire. We saw this in Iowa. I think we saw it in South Carolina, too. He had more votes in Texas in an uncontested primary than Bernie, Biden and Warren combined. Now, think about that. That's it. That's 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 a pretty incredible number. How did that happen? I don't think a lot of people in the media in particular panel, you know, close attention to it. Uh, We were on this program because that's what we do. That's a big story. And I don't think anybody in the mob and the media wants to talk about that big story. But it even gets bigger than that, because despite this being an uncontested primary, He received more votes in Vermont, Minnesota, and Massachusetts than any incumbent for the last three or four decades. In Colorado, look at this. Republican turnout for Trump. Again, nobody really needed to go out Tuesday for Donald Trump. It was greater this past Tuesday than the past three Republican primaries combined. Yeah, Texas, more votes than Bernie, Joe, and Elizabeth combined. You know, well, this is such a big night. No, it really wasn't. Big night for Trump. Then you saw the same thing. Voter enthusiasm has never been higher. And when you look at it, you start asking the question, well, how do we interpret that? What does that mean? It means that people are fed up of three long years of never-ending, nonstop attacks, lies, propaganda, conspiracy theories, misinformation. That Alabama, Trump won, you know, with 96% of the vote. I mean, amazing numbers that he put up on the board. He won, you know, the Republican votes in Alabama this year in the primary. Trump had 722,000 Republicans vote casts. All those Democrats, 695,000 combined. Wow. I mean, that's a pretty big Oklahoma Republican primary. Donald Trump there. Trump won. You know, the majority of the Republican votes cast, obviously. Arkansas, same thing. States where there's a greater Democratic turnout than Republican, maybe Tennessee. Trump won the Republican primary there. Huge. In 2004, he won with a higher percentage than Bush running in 2004. He won with 380,276 votes cast. Biden won with only 215,000 votes for him. That was this early call state. Pretty amazing. All right, hour two, Sean Hannity Show, toll free, number 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. Uh, mentioned in the last hour that, okay, now it looks like the Biden campaign is angry, and they're angry. You know, Joe Biden has a history of these bizarre comments, and, and this is separate and apart from the fact that this guy makes a gaffe a second here, but... If you think back, uh, we're going to put you all back in chains. My state is a slave state for the first time. You got an African-American and he's 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 bright and articulate and clean. I'm like, it's storybook, man. I I never got over that one. 
Uh, you can't work in a Dunkin' Donuts or a 7-Eleven unless you have a slight Indian accent. And I'm just thinking, okay, if any Republican says these sorts of things, there's going to be a very different response. Now, with this new ad out by Bernie Sanders, uh, we now have the Biden campaign pretty ticked off. Co-chairman Cedric Richmond, member of the Congressional Black Caucus from Louisiana, telling reporters on a conference call the fact that Sanders is on TV with negative attack ads and consistently saying the establishment is teaming up against him. He says, well, no African-American voters have made a conscious decision that we fought and we earned civil rights through blood, sweat and tears. Then he said, and so as he rails against the establishment, I didn't know that African-Americans in the South were considered part of the establishment. Uh, so I don't know what they're suggesting there uh, about Bernie Sanders. I'll let you interpret that. Now, this tape that I've been telling you about in the last hour it is on Cleveland.com. They reported on this in 2019. The City Club of Cleveland put up uh, a speech given by Biden in 1973. Long time ago. Think of all the people that went after Michael Bloomberg, though, for his policies and comments going back 17 years as it relates to, oh, we only arrest minority kids for marijuana. Why? Well, we only put police, all police, in minority neighborhoods. Why? Because that's where all, not some, all the crime is. And I think it became a very big issue for Bloomberg and the disaster that he had Tuesday night. Um, as you hear these comments, it's a younger Joe Biden, by the way. Very different cadence. Maybe a faster pitch than he certainly has now. And anyway, the way he apologizes to women for using a football analogy Oh, uh, you know, I didn't know there'd be women here. Uh, politicians uh, do, do more good than doctors, lawyers and Indian chiefs. He said that, too. Uh, admits that he would have taken money from special. Uh, but referring to a woman as a kiddo and complimenting her lovely appearance um, and then uses uh, language. Well, it's the N word, but not. The N word, N word, the other N word. I'm not I don't want to say the word. I don't. It's offensive to me. But anyway, let's play it. But I don't think anything has assaulted the system and the fundamental makeup of this country as much as this Watergate thing has. And the only analogy I can really think of is a football analogy. And I apologize to you women in the audience for not being able to think of a more appropriate analogy. But they told me here they didn't want you here anyway. I didn't expect any women to be here. We spend a lot of time talking about the United States being a melting pot. Well, that's true, but quite frankly, I think it's overrated. We've been able to move forward because of politics. And in my opinion, politics need not necessarily be a dirty word. Politics should be the most honorable of professions. Those of you who are doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs in the audience how can any of you possibly do as much good if you're very good at what you do as I can do if I'm very good at what I can do? You can't. So the point is, this is where the action is. To run in my state costs $300,000 this time around, or between two fifty dollars and three hundred. dollars I don't know the exact figure. That's more money than any Democrat in my state has ever spent. And the young, new, white knight, he spent it. Spent more money than my opponent 
Only because he didn't take me seriously, and he, he had another $90,000 left over. He didn't know how to spend it in the last week when they realized I was a serious candidate. But seriously, in trying to raise that money, I fortunately had over 3,000 individual contributors. Nobody makes up any more than one percentage point of my total budget. Nobody for one percentage points gets a hold of that ear. Nobody gets any more than a return phone call for that one percent. But it's not because I'm particularly moral. It's because nobody took me seriously. Had in the beginning when I started, big corporations or big labor or big wealthy individuals or big anybody come along and said, here, Biden, we want to contribute $20,000 to you, I probably would have taken it. Not probably, I would have taken it. <laughs> because I had to go out and borrow $20,000 and put a second mortgage on my house to get that 20 to start. <clears throat> but nobody took me seriously. Yes, sir, ma'am. Yeah, Senator, I find you very articulate. May I ask... I find uh, you to very lovely. Come on up front. <laughs> <laughs> the rest is not very good. That's uh, what I thought. <laughs> That's why... <laughs> That's why I tried to compliment you. I thought I'd scare you out of it. To the, to the best of your knowledge, Senator, do you believe that the Democratic Party has ever been involved in something as atrocious as bugging? Sure, yes. Yes, I do. But bugging isn't the question, kiddo. We're not even talking about bugging. You know, uh, the, the rumor was that uh, Robert Kennedy used to walk into his office in the morning when he was a senator and pick up the phone and say, hello, everybody, how are you? And the counter to that was the reason he was able to pick it up and say that is when he was attorney general, he was doing the bugging. So, you know, I'm sure that bugging has gone on. And I'm sure, and that's offensive to everyone. It's particularly offensive to somebody like me who's being bugged if I am. But as one of my colleagues said, Joe, you're not important enough yet to be bugged, so don't worry about it. <laughs> He's probably right. But really and truly, it has been, it has gone on. Senator, yes, uh, Mr. Justice. Uh, for some time, I've had the feeling that uh, the Southern Senators are warmer now toward the uh, problems of the in America. Uh, have you had private conversations with them, or uh, do you feel that way about it? Or have they talked to you privately about yes, their change attitude toward these problems? I have had a number of conversations with the Southern Senators, and in the, we, we get about 40 to 50 requests a week to speak nationally, and just as if I were, if I were elected with one eye, I'd be an anomaly and they'd want me to speak. I'm 30. That's not because of any merit. They Just because I'm 30, they want to see if I can talk. And the places that we go, that I've told my staff, the places I want to go, by and large, are the South, because I'm most unfamiliar with the South. So I've had occasion to speak in the South fairly frequently, party. And I think the two-party system, although... My Democratic colleagues don't like me saying this. I think the two-party system is good for the South and good for the good for the black in the South. Um, and uh, uh, other than the fact that they still call me boy, I don't think they've I think they've changed their mind. All right. There it is. Uh, Joe Biden, 1973. Vince Ellison is with us. Conservative columnist, lecturer, author of the book, The Iron Triangle. Uh, Burgess Owens, uh, both friends of the program, by the way, former NFL player, part of the Super Bowl winning Oakland Raiders. And by the way, now a candidate in for Congress in Utah's fourth congressional district. And I hope you win. Uh, welcome both of you to the program. Vince, let's start with you. Uh, OK, 1973, different place, different time. 
does this impact the race? Because in my imagination, I think if this was Donald Trump on tape, it'd be a big deal. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, surprise, surprise, surprise. I mean, Joe's been doing this his whole career. He hasn't changed. It's the same thing. He sees black people with his condescending, you know, attitude. The very fact that uh, they're saying they got the black vote down south is ridiculous because they assume that all black people are Democrats. They got the black Democrat votes down south, not the black independent or the black Republican votes down south. <laughs> but they say the, the the black vote, and they talk about it like as a Democratic monolith. Yeah, you have me and Burgess on your show. That proves it's not a monolith right there. So, you know, and, and, and when he brings Clyburn up there, I don't know why they bring him up because for 25 years since he's been there, his district, is, he started out his district was the poorest, um, the most, most crime-ridden, most ill-educated district in, 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 in the South, and it still is. If you wanted someone to come up there and speak for black people, at least it should have been someone that has done some good for the black community. They look at us as a community that they want to control, that they want to keep down, that they want to stomp down, and they will put someone up in front of us that has done nothing, nothing, but keep us poor, uneducated, and under the foot of the Democratic Party to tell us to keep going in the same direction and in the same direction, and Joe Biden brings him out, puts him out in front of black people, say this is our standard bearer, this is what we call progress. This is what they call progress. The, 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 the poverty, unemployment, Gangs, drugs, terrible schools, violence, prison. They bring Jim Clyburn out, and they activate the Iron Triangle and tell them to get the buses rolling, get the street money out, and get the black people to vote for Joe Biden, and bam, it, 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 they all jump right into order. And this is how Biden sees us. He sees us as people that he can control, people that he wants to do what he tells them to do, and if they don't, they're no good for him. Let me bring in Burgess Owen this, uh, into this uh, race. I hope your race is going well out in Utah. Um, and uh, I've known you now for a, a long period of time, and I think you'd be a great congressman. Um, and the people of Utah would be lucky to have you serving that district. Uh, what Thank is your you, reaction to the tapes? You know, and then also a little bit of, you know, all these things that he has said um, regarding race over the years, which I have found offensive, and I, Democrats, I guess, give have two standards for Republicans' comments and Democrats' comments to me, Burgess. Yes. Well, let me first of all make a quick plug. Burgess for Utah.com. Uh, support me, guys. It's going to change our country. Anyway, you know, I, I, I've been waiting 30 years uh, for us to be at this point. We have this kind of conversation. We are experiencing a sea change. You know, I, I've always known from 30 years ago that the Democratic Party looks at the black race as objects. They think that they rethink with our skin. Uh, they look at us as something which they can bring out every every four years, use, and then put put aside until the next four years. We're having now an environment which we're not only thinking, we're, we're racing, we're sprinting off this plantation, and I'm so excited to see it. Because you're right, uh, people like uh, uh, Biden, and, and I would say this also, we have to understand who our true enemy has been, guys. Uh, you know, I've watched this for years. It's not been the white supremacists. My my dad's generation and the generation before that kicked butt. They were able to do great things in our country in terms of education, entrepreneurship, uh, leadership. It's been the black elitist that's been our biggest problem. Those are those that these these these, these markers pull out when they need them. Speak to our race as if they care for us, and then we go out and vote for the same people that's been keeping us in misery for for decades. 
the black elitists, the black caucus, the NAACP, those that live in the American dream, and then telling the rest of us we can't do so because the white man won't let us. Because they're getting paid every single, that they get that they get their power from the fact that they vote for anti-black uh, policies that keep us misery. So I'm excited about where we are now. Uh, I, I just want, the, I, I want to be one American family here. And the president says that in his speech, with one glorious nation under God, one one American family, and the fact that we have experienced such economic prosperity and success and unemployment record lows, and et cetera, is, is great for the country. Um, and you guys are both amazing. Got to take a break. We'll come back. 800-941-SEAN. Toll-free uh, telephone number. We'll get to your calls coming up in the next hour uh, and much more and an, an update with our medical experts on coronavirus straight ahead. All right, our final moments with Vince Ellison, Burgess Owens. Um, I don't have a lot of time, about a minute each. Vince, now that you see all these polls, the president, 16 to 34 and a half percent approval rating in the African-American community, Hispanic community, record highs there, too. Do you think that translates into votes? It will. And people are going to be surprised, just like Burgess said. It's good for us to have this conversation. Uh, people are jumping off the plantation. There's an awakening. We are now seeing that the Democratic Party, after what Biden did on Super Tuesday, we are seeing now that they have no plan for us. Their mantra is one thing. Stay exactly where you are. Stay poor. Stay uneducated. Stay crime-ridden. And we will make sure we're good masters to you. We'll let you eat from the, uh, from the crumbs that fall, fall from our table. We'll, 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 we'll make sure that you stay under our thumb, under our control, and we will determine your worth. We are better than that, and black people in America are waking up to the fact Let that me, they can have everything they want in America. Last minute of this half hour, Burgess <clears throat> Owens. I can't, can't believe more than what Vince just said. You know, I, I'm excited about the fact that the black Americans are now voting their values and principles versus party and politicians, and we're waking up. And that's why they're trying to keep us walled down. They know they have to exchange us with other people who do not understand our system. Black Americans love our country, we love our families, love our, our future, and we're going to be continue to vote for those who support that. And that's what President Trump has done. He's proven in three years what the left has not done in decades. So watch out. We're going to be uh, leading the front to making sure our country becomes great again by, by voting our values. And I love that about our, our, our community. I'm really proud of, of all those who are standing up and making this country a, a much better place to, to live in, for sure. It's in everybody's the best interest. We, you know, you, you rise and fall together. We're going to rise and fall as a nation together. Got to be one at some point. You'd think the virus would, you know, we'd, that wouldn't be political, but unfortunately it's become political. Uh, Burgess Owens uh, running for the 4th Congressional District, Utah. Thank you. Uh, Vince Ellison, author, Iron Triangle, thank you, 800-941-SEAN. When we come back, our medical team will update uh, you on the latest on coronavirus and much more as we continue. Task Force met this morning um, and brought the president a range of options. And uh, uh, at his direction, we will be doing the following. Um, first, the president authorized action today uh, to add additional travel restrictions uh, on Iran. We will be using uh, Section 212F, uh, banning travel from Iran. Iran is also already under a travel ban, but we are expanding existing travel restrictions to include any foreign national who has visited Iran within the last 14 days. In addition to moving uh, Iran, we are going to increase to the highest level of advisory which is level four, advising Americans do not travel to specific regions in Italy and South Korea. 
From day one, this is what we predicted. This is what we expected. The risk to any average American is low from the novel coronavirus. The risk remains low thanks to the unprecedented actions President Trump has taken and the actions he's announcing today. That risk remains low. But this can change rapidly. We have always said from the first moment that we have spoken about this that we would see more cases. We are seeing more cases. We will see more cases. But it's important to remember for the vast majority of individuals who contract the novel coronavirus, they will experience mild to moderate symptoms and their treatment will be to remain at home treating their symptoms the way they would a severe cold or the flu. For some individuals, a smaller percentage, especially those who may be medically fragile, they will require medical attention, including possibly hospitalization. All right, that, of course, the daily updating of the coronavirus. I know a lot of fear and a lot of panic has set in in the minds and hearts of many people. Um, I guess in my... From my point of view, I think a lot of it is because it's been weaponized, it's, it's politicized. Um, sadly, and I've said this before, I, I, I wish we could cure cancer tomorrow, end all heart disease tomorrow. You would think that the health and safety of great citizens of this country would transcend politics, but sadly, I guess it's impossible. One thing we should all be proud of that we have mobilized the best scientists, the best researchers in the world at the highest level. We will lead the world ultimately. We get the vaccine. There are, there are 20 current vaccines being worked on for corona as we speak. Dr. Anthony Fauci says that might be a year. We don't know the answer. Uh, but ultimately, we will get there. We have pandemics. We've had, for example, uh, in the Biden-Obama administration, we had a pandemic. It started in April, their first year in office, 2009. Uh, we lost a lot of people worldwide, globally. The estimates are, go as high as 575,000 people died from H1N1, known as the swine flu. In the United States of America, from April of 2009 to April of 2010, well, there were an estimated 60 million cases, uh, uh, 275,000 hospitalizations and 12,469 deaths from the H1N1 swine flu in the United States due to that virus. And I don't remember the hysteria back then, but again, it's it's weaponized. We live in a different time, but the advances that we make, the progress our scientists, doctors, medical researchers are making every day, finding treatments and cures for cancer, new procedures to, to battle against things like heart disease, uh, medicines to cure to cure these diseases. You know, I lost a cousin from Hodgkin's disease, you know, many, many years ago, decades ago. Uh, odds are very high, like 95 percent high that he would survive today. Because of the advancements we have made in treating Hodgkin's disease, just one example. Uh, Dr. Mark Siegel is with us, professor of medicine, New York University, Fox News contributor. Uh, Dr. Nicole Sapphire is with us, board certified radiologist, also a Fox News medical contributor, part of our medical team at Fox. Uh, I look at the timeline, and Nicole, I'll start. I'll start with you. And what I see is okay. 
they first that the WHO noticed on December 30th a virus looking type of thing with pneumonia symptoms in China. January 7th of this year, they identified Corona. January 31st, Donald J. Trump declared a national emergency and he did something that very few people ever did. We never did this back in 09 or 2010. And that was that not only did he put a travel ban in effect, which is now expanded, but he also quarantined Americans coming back from infected areas. That hasn't been done in decades in this country. That's right, Sean. And thanks for having me on. This is an incredibly important point to make that we are you know, responding to this virus in rapid, you know, groundbreaking speed. It is not only did President Trump, you know, start in the beginning, having the travel ban, everything that you have mentioned, but we already have, Moderna has put forth a vaccine that is under review right now and getting ready for clinical trials. That is record-breaking is this, time. Is this the company in Massachusetts? I don't mean to interrupt. Um, you know, yes, it is, actually. And the CEO this morning um, said... Um, some media outlet that they were going to take into consideration and make sure that this is not too expensive looking at other vaccine costs. But one thing that is really important to know is SARS-CoV-2, the virus that is causing COVID-19, is acting exactly how we expect it to. Within three months in the era of having international travel, we now have cases of the virus all across the globe. We expect that to happen when in such the era that we're living in. You have decreased cases being seen in mainland China and Wuhan right now because of increased awareness and the precautions being taken. We're going to continue seeing increased cases elsewhere because it's just gotten to us. So don't panic. And we should expect to see more cases over the next few months. It will likely plateau out and then begin to decrease. Mm -hmm. Dr. Siegel, look, there may be periods where maybe it's in the best interest of the country to shut schools for a couple of weeks. Maybe it's in the best interest of the country, temporary closings here or there. We're a tough people. Uh, Americans will make the uh, the adjustments based on medical experts and what they think. We've dealt with many pandemics in the past. Sadly, I wish we didn't have to ever deal with it. Uh, They'll do it out of an abundance of caution. I think the president boldly did something he's not getting any credit for, which is that that travel ban and quarantine was in three weeks Now, when I know the Health and Human Services Secretary, I believe in April of 2009, they they did say it's an emergency. But Barack Obama didn't declare an emergency until October of 2009, after a thousand Americans had already died and 20,000 had contracted H1N1. I wrote a book about that, the swine flu, and I thought the entire effort was discoordinated. I actually had to come out publicly and tell uh, summer camps to give Tamiflu to prevent the spread of this emerging virus. And I didn't feel that the public response or the governmental response was coordinated. As you mentioned, a lot of people died. A lot of people got sick. But never mind about that. By the way, to go on to the Ebola problem in 2014, when, of course, it was spread under the government watch, where not the precautions were, were not being taken. But you know what, Sean? Our, our group of leaders has learned from all of that. They're messaging a lot better. They're more cautious. Errors are not being made. I mean, I have actually never seen a better task force put together. The president gets no credit for that, for bringing, bringing Robert Redfield in, who's a famous virologist, or the way he's using Tony Fauci, or the messaging you just heard from Alex Azar. And hooray that he's banning travel to and from Iran, a hostile state which is spreading and, this by virus. By the way, and around. Italy. And, and, and interestingly, the president said he'd help the Iranians if, if they need help. 
Yeah, and Italy, which doesn't have a coordinated health response. And here in the United States, you're seeing vigilance. Now, one quick thing. The public is misperceiving all this unified vigilance and, and public health measures and mitigating strategies and isolation. They don't understand the purpose of that is to squash the virus before it becomes widespread. It's not that it's necessarily dangerous to you or me. It's that we want it to not become that dangerous. So meanwhile, with all the political bickering and all the criticism, instead of applauding the president's strategy, that's, as you said at the beginning, spreading fear. Well, and Mark, don't forget, when we're talking about Ebola virus, Former President Obama at the time would continuously prided himself on not instituting a travel ban. But the Ebola virus is not an airborne respiratory virus like with the coronavirus. So, no, it didn't make sense for a travel ban. So it doesn't mean that he handled it any better. And there were only 28,000 cases of Ebola, and we're seeing significantly more with coronavirus. And the reason there are still such few numbers in the United States is because of that early, early travel ban and the quarantine. And I have to say bravo to President Trump because I think that he has really proven himself and how he has responded. Let Nicole's me look point, at, let's the, take, the, oh, go ahead, Dr. Siegel. I think to Nicole's point, this is a very contagious virus. Ebola wasn't. She's absolutely right. The, the, the public health measures led by President Trump are actually working. The number of people, some 80,000 uh, people in China that have contracted uh, corona, uh, now seem to have fully recovered. Um, there's not a lot of attention given to all of that. But anyway, Business Insider had a piece out today. The trend seems to be holding that the number of patients recovering is greater, far greater than the number of people being treated. And as of Monday, there were 44,518 recoveries in China compared to 32,000 outstanding infections. And the tipping point seems to have been February 29th, according to John Johns Hopkins, uh, the trend has uh, held for the days since, and in China there's been a total of, again, 80,174. Uh, does that give you any insight to where this is headed, uh, of course. Nicole? So, of course it does. And it's showing us that as people have become more aware of the virus and they're seeking treatment or they're being quarantined, that, yes, it's following its natural course and they're having fewer infections, fewer new contacts. One important thing to take note of is in Wuhan, about 41 percent of the patients that were infected were infected from being in the hospital with other patients, whether they were the health caregivers, their close contacts. So it wasn't like it was rampant out on the streets. A lot of people were in very confined spaces. And when about 82% of the cases are going to have mild symptoms at best, like that of a common cold, of course they're going to be out and they're infecting other people. So now that we have an awareness and we know that just symptoms of a common cold can actually be coronavirus, people are having better hand hygiene. They're maybe not touching their mouths. They're maybe staying um, at home if they're feeling sick. I just stay away from everybody. And I'm a hermit <laughs> and I'm a recluse. I think that works for everybody if you try that in life. All right, as we uh, continue, our medical team experts, Dr. Mark Siegel and Dr. Nicole Sapphire. All right, so Dr. Siegel, what do you say to people? I mean, the panic in some people. I mean, even people I know, I'm like, seriously, are you really that panicked about this? You, you know the history of pandemics. Uh, you know that we lost, what, nearly 16, you would know better than I, doctor, or 17,000 Americans in between 2009 and 10 with H1N1. There was no travel ban. There was no quarantining. Uh, sadly, these things happen, and I mean that. I want cures for everything. 
Here's what I would say to people, Sean. First of all, I would say we should take comfort in courageous leaders. And I think it's one thing that has not been said by anyone is that somehow the president has managed to manage his relationship with President Xi at the same time that he's putting a lot of pressure and a spotlight, a world spotlight on the country to try to contain the virus, which, as Nicole pointed out, they've actually been trying to do. That's without the help of the World Health Organization, who's a political body that's easily manipulated and hasn't really been of any great value here. So you have to get courage from the president and from the other leaders of the task force. The other thing I want to say is that we still have to keep our eye on the fact that even if you see that there's a case in your state or even in your neighborhood, it doesn't mean that it's as prominent as you think. That's worst case scenarioing. That's people thinking it's it's going to get me next. That's fear. That's emotion. And be careful of the props of fear. If you wear a mask unnecessarily on the street, you're sending a signal. You think Corona is coming down the street when it's nowhere near there. You have to, we have to message properly and calmly without hysteria. And Nancy Messinger of the CDC messed up with that one day when she said it's going to disrupt communities. Well, the more we say it's going to disrupt communities, the more it does. We need a calm approach to this. It makes sense from a public health point of view to isolate people, to quarantine people occasionally if there's been a case, maybe to temporarily close a school. But we can overreact to this. We have, we have to look to our leaders to guide us. Last word, uh, Dr. Nicole Sapphire. I mean, as we wait for the epidemic to abate, we need to socially distance ourselves, avoid crowded areas, hand wash, cover your mouth when you cough, stop touching your face, and if you feel sick, sick stay home. These are all important low-tech measures. All right, I want to thank you both. Our medical team, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, Dr. Mark Siegel, will have full updates on Hannity tonight, 9 Eastern, on the Fox News Channel. Uh, 800-941-SEAN, our number. Be right here for our final news roundup and information overload. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. The women of America are angry. And yes, we will continue to fight for a woman's right to choose. I will continue to fight for the women of America. Now, I should not have used the words I used yesterday. They didn't come out the way I intended to. My point was that there would be political consequences, political consequences, for President Trump and Senate Republicans, if the Supreme Court, with the newly confirmed justices, stripped away a woman's right to choose. Of course, I didn't intend to, to, to suggest anything other than political and public opinion consequences for the Supreme Court, and it is a gross distortion to imply otherwise. I'm from Brooklyn. We speak in strong language. I shouldn't have used the words I did, but in no way was I making a threat. I never, never would do such a thing. And Leader McConnell knows that. And Republicans who are busy manufacturing outrage over these comments know that too. Now what will remain long after the clamor over my comments dies down is the issue at hand, a woman's constitutional right to choose and Republican attempts to invalidate it. All right, News Roundup and Information Overload Hour. Chuck Schumer now in full defense mode. I don't think you can spin out of it. And I don't see the same outrage, feigned moral outrage among Democrats 
There are a few, but not really many as it relates to Schumer, uh, because Chuck Schumer gets away with things. Why? Because Chuck Schumer is a liberal. It's that's it's always comes down to that. It always comes out. Well, of course, you get a of course, you get a double standard if your name is Chuck Schumer, uh, if your name is Hillary Clinton. If your name is Barack Obama, if your name is Joe Biden, if your name is anything but Donald Trump. I mean, if, if you know, for John Roberts to step up and say about this, that justices know the criticism comes with the territory, but threatening statements of this sort uh, from the highest levels of government are not only inappropriate, but they are dangerous. Yeah, a direct dangerous threat to the U.S. Supreme Court, and that is done by Chuck Schumer. Why? Because he he wants to intimidate the court into doing things that the court should not be intimidated into to doing if you believe in a constitutional system of, of governance. And that, you know, it sounds like a threat to me. Sounds like, okay, what is the price you're going to pay? You won't know what hit you? Okay, really? I don't know. I think if Donald Trump said it, you'd see a very different reaction in the media by the mob. Anyway, Joe Concha is with us, uh, columnist, media columnist with The Hill. And uh, even Harold Ford Jr. said the comments of Schumer aimed at two Supreme Court justices uh, at where we are out uh, at a low point. Yeah, I think that that's true. And and people get so outraged over Donald Trump, don't they? Anyway, Joe, welcome back to the program. Hey, Sean, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, sir. Um, I'm watching for the reaction of Democrats. There's a few. There's not a lot of them. Why? <laughs> this is rhetorical Thursday, super Thursday, as Joe Biden would put it, uh, because, as you said, you're Schumer. you got a big D next to your name. You're probably going to get a pass. Uh, I saw Jeffrey Tubin actually criticize him. I saw Lawrence Tribe actually criticize him. But to your point, you could criticize somebody for something, but that pious, self-righteous, condescending, moral outrage thing is missing from this, right? And remember who Chuck Schumer is, because he said in that clip, I would never threaten anybody. Oh, yeah, I remember 2017 where this guy said on national television, you know, Donald Trump's, he's criticizing the intelligence community. They could get you six waves from Sunday, and he should know that. Sounds like a threat for me, to me, and sure enough, that kind of happened, right? So, yeah, I mean, this will now go away because without Schumer really having to answer for it, he does a little speech on the on the Senate floor, and he doesn't even apologize for it. He doubles down, I guess, more or less. Uh, that's just the way things work, and we shouldn't be surprised by it anymore. Yeah, I guess we shouldn't. Let me go. We've got this new tape that is, this is Joe Biden, and I'm just thinking about if, if this was, in fact, Donald Trump, and we've been debating it in the last hour, if this was, in fact, Donald Trump, I think there'd be a very different reaction to all of that. And, you know, he he gives us a, a speech at the City Club of Cleveland. OK, it's 1973. Understand. But if this tape again evolved and it was Donald Trump, Michael Bloomberg got hit pretty hard because of his past comments about, oh, we only arrest minority kids. Why? Because. Oh, we only put cops in minority neighborhoods, all the cops. Why? Because that's where all the crime is. I think that played a very big part in his failure on Tuesday night. But you got Biden uh, literally apologizing to women because I'm about to use a football analogy. Don't don't expect I didn't expect women to be here. Ouch. 
politicians do more good than doctors, lawyers and Indian chiefs and admits that he would have taken money from special interests in the first place. Uh, And he then goes on to refer to a woman as a kiddo complimenting her lovely appearance. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you can't make this up and then uses, I think, what is racist language, lecturing about what is good for his words. The it's the N word, but not the N word N word. Listen, but I don't think anything has assaulted the system and the fundamental makeup of this country as much as this Watergate thing has. And the only analogy I can really think of is a football analogy. And I apologize to you women in the audience for not being able to think of a more appropriate analogy, but they told me here they didn't want you here anyway. I didn't expect any women to be here. We spend a lot of time talking about the United States being a melting pot. Well, that's true, but quite frankly, I think it's overrated. We've been able to move forward because of politics. And in my opinion, politics need not necessarily be a dirty word. Politics should be the most honorable of professions. Those of you who are doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs in the audience, how can any of you possibly do as much good if you're very good at what you do as I can do if I'm very good at what I can do? You can't. So the point is, this is where the action is. To run in my state costs $300,000 this time around, or between two fifty and three hundred. I don't know the exact figure. That's more money than any Democrat in my state has ever spent. And the young new white knight, he spent it. Spent more money than my opponent. Only because he didn't take me seriously and he, he had another $90,000 left over. He didn't know how to spend it in the last week when they realized I was a serious candidate. But seriously, in trying to raise that money, I fortunately had over 3,000 individual contributors. Nobody makes up any more than one percentage point of my total budget. Nobody for one percentage points gets a hold of that ear. Nobody gets any more than a return phone call for that one percent. But it's not because I'm particularly moral. It's because nobody took me seriously. Had in the beginning when I started, big corporations or big labor or big wealthy individuals or big anybody come along and said, here, Biden, we want to contribute $20,000 to you, I probably would have taken it. Not probably, I would have taken it. Because I had to go out and borrow $20,000 and put a second mortgage on my house to get that 20 to start. But nobody took me seriously. Yes, sir, ma'am. Yes. Senator, I find you very articulate. May I ask I uh, to the best... I find you very lovely. Come on up front. <laughs> the rest is not very good. That's uh, what I thought. That's why... I... That's why I tried to compliment you. I thought I'd scare you out of it. To the, to the best of your knowledge, Senator, do you believe that the Democratic Party has ever been involved in something as atrocious as bugging? Sure, yes. Yes, I do. But bugging isn't the question, kiddo. We're not even talking about bugging. You know, uh, the, the rumor was that uh, Robert Kennedy used to walk into his office in the morning when he was a senator and pick up the phone and say, hello, everybody, how are you? And uh, the counter to that was the reason he was able to pick it up and say that is when he was attorney general, he was doing the bugging. 
So, you know, I'm sure that bugging has gone on. And I'm sure, and that's offensive to everyone. It's particularly offensive to somebody like me who's being bugged if I am. But as one of my colleagues said, Joe, you're not important enough yet to be bugged, so don't worry about it. <laughs> He's probably right. But really and truly, it has been, it has gone on. Senator, yes, uh, Mr. Justice. Uh, for some time I've had the feeling that uh, the Southern Senators are warmer now toward the uh, problems of the new America. Uh, have you had private conversations with them, or uh, do you feel that way about it, or have they talked to you privately about yes, their change attitude toward these problems? I have had a number of conversations with the Southern Senators, and in the we, we get about 40 to 50 requests a week to speak nationally, and just as if I were if I were elected with one eye, I'd be an anomaly, and they'd want me to speak. I'm 30. That's not because of any merit. They Just because I'm 30, they want to see if I can talk. And the places that we go, that I've told my staff, the places I want to go, by and large, are the South, because I'm most unfamiliar with the South. So I've had occasion to speak in the South fairly frequently, party. And I think the two-party system, although... My Democratic colleagues don't like me saying this. I think the two-party system is good for the South and good for the good for the black in the South. Um, and uh, uh, other than the fact that they still call me boy, I don't think they've, I think they've changed their mind. What's your reaction, Joe Concha? I know it's long, but I think if it was Donald Trump, we got a very different reaction. I, I never heard that before. I mean, I was just mm. mesmerized by that. A, how articulate and quick Biden is. When you <laughs> yeah, now. Well, that was a number of years ago, yeah. Uh, By the way, you can compare. What do you think the fallout now? I mean, this has been picked up. The the this particular uh, place where they where he gave the remarks, they released all of this. And I guess my question is, um, you know, and Cleveland.com carried it and Breitbart carried it. But that was in May of last year. And now we're calling attention to it as he looks to be the Democratic frontrunner. I think if I'm using precedent, Sean, then I look back at the comments he made about Barack Obama in 2007, I believe, where he said, you know, that's a a guy who's clean and articulate. So, again, put those words out of Trump's mouth, calling uh, an African-American politician clean and articulate. And then, of course, you have the apocalypse, right? Or you've you've played this clip before where he says you can't work at a 7-Eleven without a thick Indian accent. You know, all these things. My state's a slave state. Yeah. You know, we're going to put you they're going to put you all back in chains. And it's interesting. Interesting is he's now, I mean, this broken political today, the campaign of Biden brought up race uh, today and bashing Bernie. We can't divide this party like we did last time to allow Trump to get reelected. You know, the fact that Senator Sanders is on TV with a negative attack ad consistently saying the establishment teaming up against him. No, African-American voters have made a conscious decision that we fought and we earned civil rights through blood, sweat and tears. And so as he rails against the establishment, I don't know that African-Americans of the South were considered part of the establishment. Look, I I honestly think you could go into the semantics of it, but Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders versus Donald Trump, the the president has a, a very clear bold contrast to make, right? I mean, Biden will raise taxes on the middle class if he's going to have things like the Green Deal, Green New Deal, and free college, and, and all these things that he wants to do. He promised to end illegal immigration detention across the board, right? right stay right there. To- i got to take a break, though. Joe Concha with us, media critic. We'll get to your calls, final half hour. Uh, Senator Blackburn is going to give us an update on the aftermath of this terrible tornado down in Tennessee and Nashville, outside of Nashville, next all right, Joe Concha with us, uh, media columnist, political pundit for The Hill. Okay, 
Final words. What about the comments he made supporting Bernie over Hillary in 2016? How big is that going to get? I would think probably not very, Sean, to be honest with you. I think in the end, it's just that the president's going to be able to say he's going to point to a Gallup poll that said six in ten Americans now say they're better off than they were three years ago. When that poll was taken during President Obama's first three years, it was 15 points lower, 45%. Until Biden has a clear economic message of optimism and says he isn't going to raise taxes when he is, the only guy who ever ran on raising taxes, Walter Mondale, and he won exactly one state. So all those other things, yeah, those are things that the president can hit uh, Joe Biden on. But in the end, if the economy stays as it is and coronavirus doesn't throw this curveball into it, it's going to be very difficult to defeat the president, particularly an incumbent that has a strong economy at his back, because only Jimmy Carter and George H.W. Bush ever lost after one term, and they were in recessions. I don't see us going there. So Biden will still be the horrible candidate he has been up until now. And with that at his back, the president with uh, peace and prosperity, it's going to be very difficult to beat him. But I think that's what you got to hammer him on. What's your economic message? And are you going to raise taxes on the middle class to pay for all these things that you say that you want to implement into our country? All right, Joe Concha, thank you. 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. Uh, we'll have all of these new developments and and comments of Biden that have been ignored by the mob and the media tonight on Hannity, 9 Eastern. Uh, when we come back, we'll update you on the, the horrible situation in tornadoes down in uh, Nashville in Tennessee with Marsha Blackburn. And then your calls are up next. Hannity tonight, 9 Eastern. What a show we have on the Fox News Channel. Straight ahead. All right. Uh, glad you're with us. 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. Um, you know, we watch what happened, these terrible tornadoes just uh, on the outskirts of, of Nashville. I love Nashville. I lived just 90 miles south of Nashville when I was broadcasting my first paid radio station in 1990, uh, WVNN in Huntsville, Alabama. Love the place. I, I just I got to know that's when I fell in love with country music. Garth Brooks at the time. Uh, but I'd always go up Opryland. I mean, it was just amazing. Just the, but also the people, wonderful people. It's grown by leaps and bounds. And then out of nowhere the other night, we have these these tornadoes. Not only touched down, there's reports that they touched down, stayed on the ground for, you know, an hour. And obviously, there's all the horrible destruction. Uh, the last I saw, about 24 confirmed dead. But the search and rescue mission continues. I've seen pictures and videos. It's devastating. Our heart goes out to the people of Nashville, our friends there. Uh, we wanted to get an update. And by the way, Samaritan's Purse is on the ground already. I was talking to Michael W. Smith the other night, the uh, Christian contemporary singer, great friend of this program and friend of mine. And uh, they're down on the ground there, and they're doing great work. Uh, that's Franklin Graham's group. Uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn is with us from Tennessee. Senator, I, I love your state. I love Nashville. I love outs I love everybody there. Wonderful people. I'm so sorry about all you're going through. Well, Sean, there are a lot of Tennesseans that love you too, and they are just so thrilled to be listening to you right now and to hear you talking about what we have experienced because you're so right. This was an, an E4 tornado there were actually two one was in the e3 ef3 the other in ef4 and it was on the ground for a period of 50 miles and i've been through war zones hurricanes tornadoes and i will tell you in putnam county tennessee and wilson county tennessee i have never seen the kind of destruction that i saw yesterday because entire communities are just leveled 
there is nothing there but a debris field. And you can see a driveway where, and maybe steps or a front porch, but everything else is just gone. And um, the loss of life, the loss of these precious children, uh, people, uh, including children that are hospitalized right now, and then loss of livelihoods, it is just devastating, and the, the destruction is unbelievable. But in true Tennessee fashion, we're the volunteer state, and people are showing up. Uh, we have those sunny attitudes that our tomorrows are going to be better than our yesterdays. And um, with a lot of support, people are they're out there working and thousands of volunteers showing up to help. That's what Michael W. said. He said there were thousands of people going to the areas that were greatly impacted. And I mean, they they had more volunteers than they actually had real work for uh, in certain areas because uh, and, and the rescue, you know, efforts continue. That is exactly right. And here's a great example. In Putnam County, we've got a great sheriff, Eddie Ferris, and I was talking with him yesterday, and up walks a big group of American Legion guys, chainsaws in hand, uh, gloves in hand. They said, tell us where to go work. And this is the kind of volunteerism, and you're hearing those chainsaws. You're seeing People that have shown up with scoopers and bulldozers and to try to clear a way for people to be able to even get to their homes and to have the ground safe to walk on or to drive a car on or a truck because there's all this metal and debris and the debris fill goes for miles and miles and miles. You know, anyway, I listen, we, we we just want the people of Tennessee to know, and I know the president, I think, is going down there tomorrow. Yes, he's going tomorrow. I'm going to be with him tomorrow in the you know. state. And people that are listening to you that have loved ones in Tennessee that have damage, they can go to the state's website. It is tn.gov forward slash TEMA, T-E-M-A, and that's the Tennessee Emergency Management Agency, and they can get help there if they are needing help. And I will tell you, Verizon, AT&T, they've been putting towers out so people can have access. There are charging stations that people can go to at the command centers and at the shelters and charge their electronics. And people are doing everything they can to come stand with individuals who have lost everything, everything, their home and everything in it. All right, Senator Blackburn, thank you so much. We we really appreciate you taking time to keep us up to speed. We put Samaritan's Purse website. They're helping the efforts Wonderful. in Tennessee. Yes. So uh, that's Franklin Graham's group, and I know them and I trust them uh, for people that want to help out. It's it's pretty devastating when you lose your home and and all your possessions in life that you've worked so hard for. And then, of course, you know how do you, out of nowhere, you deal with the loss of a loved one. And that now has happened to 24 families in the great state of Tennessee. Uh, Senator, always good to have you. You're in our prayers. Please let everyone know we're thinking about them, and America will be there for them, as we always are. Thank you, Sean. Bye-bye. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Lizzie in the great state of Ohio. You're on the Sean Hannity Show. Hey, Lizzie, how are you? Hi, Sean. I'm good. Um, I was just you like sound young. That... Can I? Are you a young person? Yes, I'm a sophomore in high school. Really? 
Okay, yeah. and uh, that, I'm glad you called the show. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Now, you're studying hard. Do you have good grades? Uh, yeah, for the most part. Okay, staying out of trouble? Yeah. <laughs> for, for the most part. That, that, that would have been my answer. But uh, anyway, I'm glad you called. What's on your mind today? Um, I would just like to say that you've been a really big inspiration for me. Because um, this year I have just started studying the Constitution in my AP government class. And um, I have a couple of liberal friends, and they um, try to debate me all the time. And, I mean, I, I can and have the, the ability to win because of you, because you have brought up some really good points. And I myself, I used to be a liberal and wow. you have really helped me to come around and see the logic in being a conservative young person. Um, you remind me a little bit of me, because when <laughs> I was young, Lizzie, I don't know why I was obsessed with politics. And yes. I would stay up late at night, my parents screaming at me to shut the radio off. And my <laughs> father would be, I'd hear him, you know, come into my room, i turn it off, and he said, uh, I heard it. I told you to turn that thing off. You don't turn it off. I'm going to smash it. And that's what my father yeah. said to me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Why are you so interested in politics? And have you thought about maybe, and I know it's pretty young for you, but what you might want to do with your life, is it involve politics? Um, well, I, I think that I got into it a lot because my sisters, they, they are both um, liberals and they influenced my opinions a lot. And once I realized my, like, their views and, like, the flaws in them, I, I started to become really interested in why they were wrong. And then it just, like, strengthened when I got into my government class. Like, I assumed that I was going to hate the class. Like, it was going to be really hard. And then I got in the class, and I can't wait to go to class tomorrow. <laughs> Well, I, I, you know, I'm very inspired by what you're saying. Look, I'm going to give you a few things. There are going to be, when you express political views, just to kind of prepare you a little bit, there are going to be, be people that don't like you. And yes, you, you've got to be, you, you know, whatever your beliefs are, if your belief in God or Jesus or, or politics, whatever, whatever it happens to be, there are going to sadly be people that do not like you for pretty much no reason at all. And, you yeah. know, it's very hard. I know young people want to be liked, and I, I talk to my own kids about this. It's interesting because my daughter is a senior in high school, and I don't think she knows what her dad does for a living. And I'm kind of yeah. happy about it because I don't bring my work home. I try not to burden her. Um, occasionally she sees or hears things, and I'm like, okay, that's, that's four months old. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Um, yeah. and, but she's following her interest, and she has her own unique uh, you know, she just has her own interests. She has her own things that she cares about. And I don't want to, I want every child to follow their interests in life. Um, if we can ever help you, or if you're in New York with your parents and you wanted to come by and see us, we, we'd love to have you. Um, I would just say, just be strong, have fun with it. And if you're enjoying learning, that's great. That should be a, a lifelong pursuit. I never stop learning. I'm learning more now. I study more now than I ever studied in any class that I've ever taken in my life. But um, follow your passion, stick by your beliefs, have fun with it, and you know, see where that brings you. I mean, 
You know, I, I believe every person's created by God and every person has a purpose. Hey, Sean, can and, I interrupt? You have to find that. I just yes. want Lizzie to know. Lizzie, what? I need you to know we all adore you in the studio. We're all sitting yeah, in here going, we love smiling. Lizzie. She, you're the cutest should, thing ever. We should have my, we love you. Lizzie t-shirts made up, right? That's exactly right. I want to be like Lizzie. Have you ever been to New York City, Lizzie? I have not, but I do want to go. You do? That would be a really cool place to go. When is your Where spring you? break? What do your parents do for a living? Wait, I asked a question first. Hold on a second. It's my show. It's called the Sean Hannity Show. All right, go ahead. When's your spring break? Uh, My spring break is very, very short. (laughs) But when is it? It is um, like over the Easter um, weekend. Easter break? All right, we'll talk. Yeah. Now you can answer his questions. Well, I'll tell you what. If Linda will agree, because I'm so busy, I I will pay for plane tickets if both your parents will take you for you to come to New York and you can come see the show if you want and you could stay a couple of days in New York I just would advise you be careful bring a hundred security guards with you no I'm teasing. Yes. Um, but if they want if, if they would if they'd agree to that and want to chaperone you and you want to see the city I, you know one of the things I like in my life at this point in my life because I didn't have a lot of money for a lot of years is I can kind of do cool things with it and if, if that's kind of a dream, I like making dreams happen sometimes. Would you like that? I would love that. That would be okay. awesome. All right. Linda's your new best friend, and she'll We're work gonna with talk, you. We're going to talk, Lizzie, me and, and you. It's going to be great. Right? Thank you so much. All right. God bless you always. It's kind of cool when you can do a few cool things. You're my hero, Sean. When okay. I grow up, I want to be just like you. Why are you lying now? We just had a great <laughs> call with a great girl. You're just lying through your teeth. <laughs> You know, it's kind of cool. To, it, you know me. I love to do stuff. Uh, what do I need? I don't need anything. No, listen, do you dr- do. This is the one thing about you that nobody knows. You know, oh, you do. I don't want to in- hear this. Incredible things for people all the okay. time. Anonymously. So, now that we've done this before, like Velma came to visit us. Remember, that was fun. Yeah, I don't know if that was fun, though, because um, I love Velma to pieces. But finding Velma in the middle of Penn no, Station. No, that was pretty that hard. Was hard. They got lost for a few hours. We had a few hours of concern. Where's Velma and company? Now all she wants is a spa day for her birthday. That's all Listen, Velma I wants. can't argue with the woman. You know, that that's actually a good choice. Okay, you know what I've never had in my life? A spa day. You, you know don't know what, what you're missing. I'm never going to have in my life? A spa day. I'm well, never you know going to do it. I'm ne- I will never do that. Why not? Ever. Because I don't like strangers touching me. Simple answer. All right, ask Ryan in Wisconsin if he would ever want a spa day. Ryan in Wisconsin, would you ever want a spa day? I would have to agree with you. I, I'm not. Oh, you. Ryan, <laughs> come on. This is guy code stuff. I don't get you don't it. You don't help a sister out. Yeah, I mean, people touching you, it's just, uh, I don't know. Okay, Ryan, say your comment, Ryan. Well, first off, I got to give you give compliments to your staff. They are absolutely awesome. Um, and what you did for Lizzie is is excellent, uh, Mr. Hannity. But I just, real quick, I wanted to know what your feelings are on, you know, the whole Biden, not so much Bloomberg anymore, obviously, but they seem to be fixated on beating Trump over and above anything else, you know, helping the country, what's good for their American people. Um, you know, I mean, Bloomberg on, on his way out said he entered the race to defeat Donald Trump, and now he's leaving to help defeat Donald Trump. And Biden coming back with saying, well, this race is bigger than the candidates, and bigger than the politics. It's about beating Donald Trump. What Whatever happened to, hey, we're in the race for the good of the country, for 
the good of the American people. The biggest you know, disadvantage Democrats have in 243 days is exactly what you said. They've only hated Donald Trump for three long years, and people are sick of it. And Donald Trump has fought back, and he's been successful for we the people. His biggest advantage. Now, I'd fly to you to New York, but... You know, you're not a, a kid that has a dream like that. But anyway, Ryan, thank you, my friend. God bless our friends and, and farmers in Wisconsin. You know, the ones with a lot of gray matter. All right, that's going to wrap things up for today. Tonight, Hannity exclusively. Yes, the younger Joe Biden tapes. We report, you decide. Trump's huge turnout in on Super Tuesday. What does it mean? Call Rove at the whiteboard. We'll get into all of that. We've got now the FISA court demanding changes and answers, but not from people under investigation. we got a full report. Uh, Greg Jarrett, Carter Page, among others. Ari Fleischer tonight. Tammy Bruce tonight. We'll see you tonight and back here tomorrow. As always, thank you for being with us. Just 243 days to go.